Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. As always, I am your host, beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart. If you are new here or you just need a recap, each episode I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the first beauty product they ever bought, the one that gives them their signature look, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. Today, my guest is model, journalist, and presenter Jessica Vanderlei, the founder of Positive Body Campaign Project Womankind and the creator of a brand new podcast, brilliant podcast, called The Affirmation Project. Jess has so many strings to her bow as a very smart, funny, and extremely talented person. We talked about taking a softer approach to skin, finding products that worked for her hair, the body positive campaign she started that went viral, tokenism in the Australian modelling industry, her on-hand in-flight essentials, and why it's up to all of us to create the media we want to see. If you enjoy this episode, please uh, rate and write a review on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on Spotify if you haven't already. Or you can recommend to a friend or many friends by sharing a screenshot on your Instagram story. Don't forget to tag at Beauty Island Podcast so I can see. As an independent podcaster, those things really help more people find podcasts, which means that I can keep on making it for you. I also have a regular beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty that I release fortnightly. The link to sign up is in the show notes. Now over to Jess. Enjoy. Jessica, welcome to Beauty Island. I am very excited to be talking with you today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here, even with our little technical issue. (laughs) It is the new normal now, isn't it? We are... Never been tech savvier, but never more tech issues. (laughs) Exactly. So true. I would love to start at the beginning with you, with your beauty journey. So if you cast your mind back, what is the first memory of beauty that stands out? Did you grow up around it much? My mom is really into makeup and skincare and always has been. And even when I grew up in New Guinea as a little kid, my mum was always getting things brought back from whoever was coming through duty-free, different um, lipsticks and like lots of perfumes, lots of, you know, I can just smell certain lotions and stuff and I'm immediately taken back to my childhood. So definitely my mum was really into it. And yeah, lots of, lots of like little kid like going into mum's drawers and like painting my nails and using on her lipsticks and probably doing things that were very annoying to her at the time but like all very much like experimenting my own interests. I love that and the first product on your list is one of those ones that you grew up seeing your mum use which is a bit of an iconic fragrance that has popped up on the podcast a few times which is the Cacherelle Lulu. So tell me about your memories with that and why you associate it so much with your mum. Well, yeah, because my mum's name is Louise. So, and you know, that's, you know, her her nickname is Lou. And so, yeah, I think that's probably why she had this smell in the first place. But I used to just be obsessed with the bottle. If anyone knows it, it's that blue bottle with like a little magenta kind of ring around it. And it's just so 90s, isn't it? Like, or I don't know, like, it's just so beautiful. And I remember anytime she had like spare 
bottles and stuff she would give it to me and my sister to play with and we'd pretend like we were putting on perfume all the time even though there was like nothing left in it <laughs> as if you'd wasted but yeah that was that was just like if I, anytime I smell it now it just totally takes me back and tell me a bit more about younger or, or teenage Jess what were your passions what did you want to grow up and become what what kind of were you like it that age? I was a total tomboy. I really was growing up. I was like really a wild little kid and like was, you know, hated wearing shoes, hated wearing, you know, always just had my hair pulled back into like the messiest little low ponytail. But like I said, like my parents were always really like, you know, if we were going to a barbecue or a birthday party or something, they would always pull us together so we didn't look like ratty little kids like turning up to an event. So I just remember like also as much as I was such a tomboy, even from being a little kid, you know, when you got in the shower, you did the whole process of like sitting there and conditioning your hair and letting it sit and soak in and like really like having that whole self-care thing going on that's happening now. I mean, like I definitely treat washing as a ritual, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And always have had, you know, wetting your hair and then getting out and putting on the baby powder and all the powders and then like lotion, completely covering my skin in lotion, especially because, you know, being a brown person, like you just get a little bit ashy if you're dry all the time. Growing up, like I just got more and more into, I guess, less being, I, I still sort of am a tomboy. I still lean into like being pretty outdoorsy and all that kind of stuff. But I, I definitely love having my shower time and, you know, my bathroom time and just spending ages just primping and, and prodding myself with like new serums and all that kind of stuff. And that's something that I have done since I was a teen. And even when I couldn't afford, you know, the things that I would use now, I was always going into the kitchen and like making things out of like apple cider vinegar and avocado and, you know, experimenting. I've always been very experimental with my beauty routines. Experimental and resourceful using everything in the kitchen. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, at the end of the day, anyone has a basic knowledge of even, you know, a lot of this kind of chemistry is a lot of like alchemy that's like aligned with beauty and, you know, it's marketed to you. Like it's all these very special ingredients that you can only get if like, you know, you know, some tiny little town in Japan where they have special rice or something like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> But really, it's, a lot of it is, you know, glycolic and, and stuff like that. That's just fruit acids and, and stuff like that. So if you sort of educate yourself, even if you don't have a lot of money, you can kind of still be very experimental with stuff that you've got around the house. It's, you know, it's always nicer when someone mixes it for you, but it's, it's all in there. And as you mentioned, you grew up in New Guinea and I think also Sydney, and then you've also lived across New York, London, LA, and I think, you know, different countries have such different approaches to beauty and even beyond that different cities can have such different approaches. So I guess from all those places that you've been lived in and surrounded by and I guess shaped you in some way, how has it kind of impacted your approach to beauty first, but also kind of more broadly as well in terms of the way that people, the attitudes that people have in those different places? Yeah, well, I definitely growing up in Sydney as a young girl, I can definitely see like when I look back at pictures, you know, I grew up in Southern Shire, which is a very Anglo area. And so my hair was lightened, like, you know, whether that's something a choice or not, you know, I definitely, I guess, embraced a more like Anglo attitude towards beauty, like my hair, I used to lighten it. And then before a such thing as a GHD was invented, my friends and I used to put our hair on a ironing board and a tea towel and iron in our hair can you Gosh. believe it <laughs> yeah and you have to really trust them around your face 
But yeah, I guess I was into sort of anglifying my looks without, you know, consciously or unconsciously, I'm not sure, but it was definitely regardless of what any of my girlfriend's ethnicity was, we all looked very much the same in terms of we would straighten our hair, lighten it, wear, you know, bronzer on our faces and lighter contact lenses if we had dark eyes, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that was just a sign of the times, I think, as well. But, you know, I I didn't really understand a lot of different representations of beauty, I think, until I did get a bit older and moved to London, especially. And I even remember like walking down Oxford Circus and there's all those iconic billboard big stores. And I saw like United Colors of Benetton and these big, beautiful photos of people with, you know, their Afro curls out and how beautiful that was. And sort of guess intrinsically, I kind of identified with that and then started to embrace my, the way that I looked as an individual a bit more, embrace my hair and my curls. And I remember going into the salons in like Elephant and Castle and having these women sort of talk to me because, you know, as much as I, um, you know, my mum always tried her best with my hair, my mum's white. So, you know, she didn't really know what to do with curly hair. It was just always very much slicked back and like moisturized. Like, you know, that's all I ever really knew to do with it. But, you know, I went into these beautiful African salons and these women would talk me through like all these iconic like you know shea butters and all these kinds of things that educating me really on how to in my early 20s how to take care of my own hair and they were sort of like so shocked that I didn't know anything and that's because really like going into a supermarket or a chemist back then it was not at all catering towards curls. It was everything like anti-frizz, anti-curl, anti-this. It wasn't really about embracing hair. Um, and that's, I guess the hair side of things is a, is a big a big kind of eye-opener to me when I go overseas. I'm, I'm forever going into different salons and stuff and, and having a look. And it's gotten a lot better in Australia now. But I think until I lived in London and New York, I was, I was sort of being a bit more Anglo in my approach to beauty. The second product on your list is one of the first ones that I think you bought with your own pocket money, your hard-earned pocket money, which is the Elizabeth Arden 8-Hour Cream. And I love that you say you read that Kate Moss used it all over her face, so you had to have it as well. Yeah, (laughs) I did. I don't know. I read that. Like, I, I, much as I didn't see myself really reflected in, you know, higher fashion magazines growing up, I still was a massive consumer of them I still sat there and used to like read them cover to cover and yeah I'd always read the like beauty stuff and I remember reading like Kate Moss was sort of something that she she had and I I think it could have even been like she said it was one of the first things that she bought when it came to spending money on beauty and so yeah obviously I was like I love Kate so I did and I would I bought it and I slathered it all over my face. And even now, if I'm catching a plane or something like that, I tend to still have it sitting somewhere in my when I get on a plane, I always, always pack a little like beauty bag that just sits in the, uh, you know, just at my feet. And it's because I get so dry on planes. And like, if I'm at all uncomfortable, I need to have that stuff like within reach. And I'm pretty sure I always have like a, an Elizabeth hour, eight hour cream because it's just the smell is so comforting to me now. And what else is in that must-have flying pouch? Definitely a kind of hydrating mist. I love to have something like that. And that doesn't have to be something super expensive. Like, you know, it could be something I know a lot of airports have like the body shop and something like and stuff like that. So I'll sometimes go in there and get like a really nice little hydrating smelly mist put on my face, as I said, because I just get so dry. And um, also it just kind of 
if you're on a really long haul flight, just gives you a little bit of life, just kind of reminds you there's a, there's refreshment out there. (laughs) And then I will usually have, you know, it's so funny, like my nails, I'll even, not that I'll sit there with the seat and file them, you know, if I kind of get a hangnail or something on happening on my nails. I have like one of those plastic kind of files because I can't stand sitting there and then I'll just pick my whole nails off. Um, so I, <laughs> I have that. And you know, those crappy airplane blankets and you just really notice like when you've got to pull on your, on your nails. So I'll usually have that there and then just lots and lots of like hand moisturizers and um, lip, you know, hydrating lip gloss and eye drops everything that just kind of can calm and soothe you because there's just nothing worse than feeling like a little bit uncomfortable. Absolutely. Some great tips there. Not not that we'll uh, be flying anytime soon, but when we when we do, oh, we'll be able yeah. to. <laughs> I know, it's sad. <laughs> you have built what is such a, a multifaceted career of so many aspects that you you do and have done. And I love that you kind of describe some of those things as being a storyteller at heart, which applies to all the different things that you do, whether it's as a model in front of the camera, as a content creator or a journalist. But I suppose starting with the modeling, tell me about how that started. It was a really funny thing. I didn't really, I've said this before, and actually, I guess I just didn't really think that modeling was for me growing up because obviously being, you know, curvier and it just wasn't the norm at all to be seeing like diversity in terms of size and or, you know, race, especially in Australia. So I just didn't think it was really for me. And then it sort of came about in terms of one of my, you know, aunties saw a, a ad in the paper and she was like, oh, you know, they're running a plus size modeling competition and you should enter. And, you know, I, I think I just didn't really take pay too much mind. But anyway, I did end up, end up entering um, under a bit of duress and I'd entered too late. And then they sort of called me and they said, oh, look, we'd still like to offer you a contract anyway. And so it just sort of kicked off from there. And then the next week I'd booked a bonds campaign and I was like, oh, oh, you can get this much money for just doing that. That's pretty cool. And then I guess that's where it started. And from there, I mean, the industry has changed so much over, you know, the past sort of decade, I guess, that I've been doing it. But, you know, as someone who's been here seeing these changes happen, I still think that there was an element of tokenism and still is for a lot of parts of Australian fashion as well. Not so much overseas. I think it's like far more those conversations of in, uh, inclusivity and real inclusivity are are ha- are happening. And you know, you just cannot get away with the same things that you can still get away with in this country, which is pretty shocking to me. When I can, you know, squeeze through a mag, or you know, as sad as it is, even seeing a lot of those magazines shut down over the last week. And you know, I know a lot of people who, you know, being a journalist, I know a lot of people who did sort of lose jobs who were of my sort of generation. But seeing the people who obviously ran those magazines before them, there was a lot of covers and whatnot being shared. And yeah, I mean, you can see even there in the covers, there's not a lot of diversity going on. Kudos to anyone who ever did make the cover that wasn't, you know, white and thin and, you know, usually blonde and usually Lara Bingle, which good for her. <laughs> but, you know, or, you know, there was just, there's just a rotating list of, of people. But I think that's a huge indicator to me that, that, that I wasn't, it wasn't all in my head that, you know, you didn't often see a lot of diversity in Australia. And so like, I'm hoping that after being in this industry for like a decade, that it's going to actually be changing and not just 
in a tokenistic kind of way. It's going to be an everyday conversation that brands and and media are having to make sure that there's there's different kinds of diversity on display. And because obviously you have that unique position of being a journalist who's worked across digital and magazines and also being a model yourself, like you said, we've seen so much change, particularly over the last two years. And I'm thinking more about almost the power shift to social media and consumers to kind of call brands and magazines more to account on things like that. Does that fill you with, I suppose, some kind of positive hope that particularly in Australia, as you said, where diversity has still remained almost tokenistic, that we will kind of see more of that authentic change happening here as well? Definitely feel like the authentic change is coming. And and it's such a shame that, you know, that a lot of these publications died before the sort of next wave of of gatekeepers kind of came into, into the power of deciding what gets put inside the magazines, what conversations get covered. Because, you know, no shade to a lot of the amazing editors and stuff that have come before. But, you know, I think that the their bottom lines and their idea, their kind of ideas about what diversity looked like and what it really was 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 super different. But like I know that there are some amazing people that work in media that are you know my age or younger who ha- who just have grown up around social media and so they just have an intrinsic knowledge of what is what looks tokenistic and what looks genuine, you know. And it's such a shame that a lot of those publications have gone before they could come in and really assert their their understandings and say what was acceptable and what was unacceptable and what needed to change and what didn't. So I'm just hoping that out of the ashes of, because there's so much talent in this country when it comes to writers and editors and, and, and you know, art directors and all that kind of stuff. I'm just hoping out of the ashes of the that media that's gone and been put to bed that, you know, something else rises up and it's from the outset inclusive in a very genuine way. And I don't doubt that that will happen because I know that there's so many, you know, wonderful female journalists that I've worked with that have have that in mind every single time they go into a meeting about pushing the boundaries when it comes to inclusion. And speaking of the journalistic side of things, tell me a bit more about that aspect of your career? You know, I was always modelling, but as anyone will tell you, really, unless you're like full-on supermodel straight away, you still have to make money um, the rest of the year because, you know, modelling tends to work a little bit in seasons, less so now, but it certainly did when I was when I was first starting. You know, you shoot campaigns in, you know, in certain times of the year and then work is sort of slow-ish. It's definitely all changed because of social media and like just the way that things are done. But, yeah, I was modeling in London and then I all my friends sort of were like oh we're gonna go back and go to uni these are people who weren't in their fashion industry and I was like maybe I'll go to uni and I sort of just decided that I would and I argued my way in because I had not applied to go to uni during the like deadlines and stuff but I found out I mean, I got in on on merit, but like I still went and took like backdoor meetings and all this kind of stuff to sort of say why I needed to be admitted into the course like this year and this is when I want to start. And anyway, I I made it in and and I started studying. And once I finished, um, or toward the end of when I finished, one of my girlfriends was working in magazines at Park Street, and she said, "Oh, you know, I had." To, I said, "I had to do an interning element of my degree." And she got me in to intern with her and her team at Madison Magazine, RIP Madison Magazine. Love that magazine. And I, 
yeah, I was at Madison and then I just never really left 54 Park. I kind of like went around all the different mags doing all different kinds of things. And yeah, and I guess that's where my career in journalism started. So, you know, when I say I'm sad about magazines closing, I really am because that's where I got my start in media. And, you know, I love, I love being around putting together magazines and learning so much from people who had been like veterans of that kind of landscape. And, and then I just sort of moved into a more digital angle and I've, you know, been freelancing for a little while and then working across like iconic titles that I thought, oh, wow, you know, every time I got a job, I was like, oh my God, like I'm working at Cosmopolitan and the Australian Women's Weekly and, you know, all these amazing titles that, you know, I learned so much um, at, but it was definitely for me the juggle of modeling and I would be working during the day and my editors and stuff were also, cause you know, media doesn't pay so well guys. <laughs> if you're just sort of a lowly learner. So I would be working in the day and then I had, um, I worked not far from the photo studios and I would like go and shoot for like two hours for a different magazine and then come back down and finish my work. <laughs> So it was an interesting kind of juggle. A lot to juggle. The third product on your list before we leave your teens behind completely is the product that kind of defined that time, which for you is the Natural Globe Bronzer. So tell me more about this particular product. Oh, well, I mean, come on. Like if you grew up in Australia and you didn't know what Natural Globe Bronzer was, I just don't even think you had a like teenage girlhood especially. It was it was a bronzer that came in two different shades. I don't even know if it's around anymore still. I'm not even sure. But my friends and I all had it. And I'm pretty sure they all had it because, you know, this was the era of like fake tan too, but like bad fake tan. So like really like tandoori, like colored like legs and and that your tan would just cut off at your wrists and ankles. Like, you know what I mean? Like it looked like you'd been laying around in like a sauce rather than like actually kind of um, you know, properly tanning yourself, but I had it and all my girlfriends had it. And we used to fight like, because someone would, you know, switch out someone else's bronzer and be like, Oh no, I had the newer one. Like, you know, when you're all getting ready to go to a party or something like that. So yeah, it was kind of just like an iconic nod to my teenage years, that, that product. And it came in this blue, blue box. Whenever I saw it, whenever I see it, I'm like taken back. (laughs) It's it's so interesting how often the brand varies, but it's nearly always bronzer that people talk about in their teenage oh, really? years, which I think yeah. is so interesting. <laughs> we all had it. We all had it. a special brush too, and, like, you would fight over whose brush was whose. You can tell my friends some of them were stingy and would, like, <laughs> get them in your stuff. <laughs> now let's talk about Project Womankind, which is – a project you started I think it was about is it five six years ago yeah five I think which I believe was initially started based on the questions that you were getting from women from your followers on social media about primarily I guess about body confidence obviously seeing your modeling work and seeing what you were posting I wonder if you could tell us a bit more about what those kind of common questions or concerns that you were getting and what prompted you to kind of do something to address that. You know, that's what's so great about the advent of social media is that you have this really direct contact with people who might be interested in your career and want to follow along. And, you know, early days of social media, 
you know, when people would slip into your DMs. I mean, it's not always good when someone does that, when they're a stranger, but sometimes it's fine. I just noticed I had been modeling before that without this connection to people who sort of knew me or followed my career or whatever. But I sort of came really aware of these common questions about like, you're helping me get my confidence or like, you know, it's so nice to see you because I feel more comfortable in my body or to wear a bikini or whatever. And, you know, and I know that some people might roll their eyes when someone like me, you know, uses their social media to go to the beach and like, you know, I'll post photos of myself or whatever. But I do believe that in our own way, we all have to be creating the media that we want to see. And social media is how so many people consume, you know, media these days. And so it sort of became really apparent to me that there was just a lot of people saying, you know, whatever I was doing was kind of giving them permission to feel like they can exist in the way that they are and not have to lose weight to or not have to change their hair or look a certain way to kind of feel like they were able to take up space in the world. And I think in 2015, it was sort of on the back of people don't realize, but like it's changed so much, even in five years, the question around body, um, the, the, yeah, the commentary and, and the questions around body positivity. I mean, it was still such early days and I just wanted to create a campaign where I interviewed a bunch of women that I think were awesome and kick-ass and getting the same kind of commentary as me in their DMs because all of them were models and really just sort of say to people, even though you might see yourself reflecting me, you're not going to ever be me. I'm not going to be you. You're an individual. You're unique. Just accept that and embrace that. And, you know, I clearly it was something that a lot of people needed to hear because I uploaded it to YouTube Again, social media being so great to kind of get messages out there. And I li- went to bed and then overnight it had just blown up. Like I had the cut calling me, asking me for an interview and like, you know, Harper's Bazaar in, in Mexico. Like, you know, it was just like crazy, you know, People Magazine. Like, and it just goes to show that like even five years ago, that kind of conversation was considered really subverting the the main conversation of what was happening which which was which was really a bit of a resistance to what people were advocating for online and what they were seeing in mainstream media where it was born <laughs> and as you said you know even in those the five years since then things have changed even more drastically since since then I'm thinking you know obviously we started off with the body positivity movement and then we saw kind of the develop of kind of the middle ground of things like body neutrality as well. So tell me a bit about, you know, as, as those things have, has, have kind of changed, how Project Womankind has changed into what it is now. I just always wanted it to be a place for joy, a, a joyful way of spreading the messages of, of just self-acceptance, self-love. And, you know, especially this is pre-Me Too as well. And it was really a place where I kind of kicked off talking about sexual assault, you know, not being okay and that we all need to stick up for each other as as women especially, but, you know, just generally, you know, humanity. And it kind of has developed into a space where we aren't afraid to talk about or post things online which keep the attention around around those specific subjects or, you know, just any subject that we think is affecting women in particular because, you know, at the end of the day when we know that when women of colour get equality, then the world will be a far more equal place. It's not just feminism isn't isn't just about impacting women, it's about impacting everybody and, you know, in, in a positive way. But 
I guess what I have seen the platform grow into is just, yeah, like a place we, I try and keep it centered on joy and I try and keep, you know, it centered on positivity, addressing those issues, but not with a kind of canceling energy in mind. And I think I did, I will definitely say like I early days of cancel culture, I saw it as a really powerful way to, you know, enact change and force it. But now I think the more people that are online and the way social media has grown, I don't see cancel culture as a very positive thing as often. I see it a lot more as a really negative way of, you know, forcing change, um, literally forcing it, you know, <laughs> where it, um, and, and there are sometimes where there is nuance to that comment. You know, there is times when we need to say this is out and out unacceptable. Whoever is doing it should, you know, deserve to go live on a, another planet like Harvey Weinstein, like, or someone like that. But um, at the end of the day, like I try and keep my channels and my personal Instagram and my Project Womankind platforms all as positive as I can while still advocating for change. Yeah, and I think you do that so brilliantly. Well, thank you. <laughs> the fourth product on your list is the perfume that has a special memory for you. And for you, it is Chance by Chanel. So tell me about why this one made the list. Well, I, I'm really big into, you know, I'm really big into smelling something and just being taken back to a person, place or time, you know, and for me, anytime I smell Chanel, it's chance. It's just like, so teen parties, driving with my friends, being so young and carefree. (laughs) And I think, you know, I also smell like, I think I mentioned, I smell like Marc Jacobs Daisy and that's the same thing, but I didn't have Marc Jacobs Daisy. It was, I think I had it later on, but Chanel was definitely my like scent and it's so nostalgic for me. And I used to always try and buy, not that I had a lot of money, but like I did have part-time jobs, worked at Boost Juice and (laughs) all different um, places growing up, but I would always try and buy like a perfume if I was going on a on a holiday or a trip with my friends and it kind of took me back and then even if I smell dupe on on a boy like I dupe is like so every teenage boy that I ever kissed isn't it (laughs) (laughs) so I love I, I love scent memory it's a powerful thing and I love uh I love what you were saying about that association of of a scent for a holiday or a scent for or picking a perfume with purpose as well so you know that you're going to have that memory that you can jump in and out of totally we talked to obviously a bit a bit about the your entry into modeling uh earlier and obviously literally at face value modeling is an industry where so much of perceived value or worth is tied to what you look like in your appearance which can be something that can be quite kind of heavy to deal with when it's your when it's your job or even for for anyone outside of it as well so how have or how do you navigate that when when you're in the jobs is it about picking the jobs that you you even do is that part of it you know definitely now I have a little bit of more autonomy to pick the jobs that I want to do but certainly back in the day you know I just did whatever was going to get me money get me paid but I mean you know to a degree but still of course like you know, you just, you just turned up and yeah, oftentimes I think that especially back in the early days, I can really remember having really insensitive people on sets, art directors or makeup artists, or just more senior people, um, photographers 
uh, you know, mostly my experiences were positive, but sometimes there were senior people around that really didn't see you as a person and really just as a accessory to whatever product they were trying to sell. And they could be quite cruel and say things that were really harsh, which, you know, I think at the end of the day, like, you know, by modeling standards, I got into modeling pretty late. I was already graduated out of high school. I had already, you know, you know, I was, I was a an adult essentially. Um, but I, yeah, I can, I, I feel like I kind of had enough experience in the world to sort of not take that, um, negativity on personally, because I just realized it was sort of a part of the job. Um, sometimes I would though, like, you know, there was a few times where someone would comment on my skin or, you know, just whatever. And that would kind of hurt for a little while. But I think most of the time I saw it as, an income, especially back in those days. And and I would think like, oh, that person's just like a bit of an asshole, but like, you know, it's not, that's their life and it's not got really much to do with me. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it is a, it is, it is a strange kind of industry to work in because it is really, you get the job most of the time based on what you look like. And you kind of just have to depersonalize that and make it, understanding that they're not really seeing you they're seeing how you're going to complement whatever they're trying to sell you know and sometimes it's just you're not the right salesperson and that's just kind of how you have to take it you really can't take it so personally um and and, and that's hard it's it's definitely got to do with training but I think that's when you can see some people you know who I would model back in the day with who just had to tap out and they were just like nah it's too hard you know, and that's it. Like, it's just some people can't do it. Some people just can't depersonalize. They, they, they get too caught up about, you know, not getting the jobs or whatever. And, and that's, that's just, that's just the nature of the industry. I think, I think though nowadays their, their models are definitely hired a little bit more for their voices and what else they're contributing. And, and, and I, I love that because I, I love that it's no longer just this kind of silent character. We're actually modeling you know, people are models because they're, because of whatever model behavior they, you know, have in their life or, you know, whatever they're modeling in their, in their life, whatever issues or topics. And I, I actually love that. I think it's way more interesting, you know, it's so much more interesting. And I, and I, and I applaud that, that change. And I hope it keeps coming because, you know, yeah, keeping it based on looks is, is, is not great for anyone. And that's such a great point as well, because it's it's really just living up even more to what the title is about, like you're saying, being a model in, in all areas or in, in more voices as well as faces. And when you think about your relationship to beauty, obviously you mentioned earlier about that fun experimental phase when you would be rifling through your mum's beauty drawers. Is that something that you still feel? Is beauty something fun and experimental to you? Or, or how do you kind of view your relationship to beauty and and how has it changed? Yeah, I think I have the privilege of like, you know, enjoying the body that I live in and enjoying a human body that changes and will look different over time and having the understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, like I don't have to own or use any product to value myself and to take care of myself um, and to enjoy you know, the experience of being human. But yeah, I, I, you know, I have certainly 
you know, playing in makeup and playing with skincare and everything is, it's a hobby of mine. It's something I love doing. You know, some people spend their money on cars or, you know, clothes or holidays and stuff like that. And, you know, while I like certain things like that, I am always my, you know, one of the things I do with my friends is I always give them little facials and test out all the products that, you know, Brand, brands send me and I get to play with them and I just love it. I just think it's so fun. And and that's, you know, I know that like when I apply a serum, it's not going to go and give me a totally different face, but some of them do give miraculous kind of results where I'm like, whoa, this is like game changer in terms of like skin texture or, you know, something like that. And it's all a very personal journey and it's what you feel comfortable with and what you feel comfortable using. And for me, it's just, it's still a whole lot of play. And I think, but it does come down to it's playful because I don't mind the foundation. You know, I, I am grateful for the foundation that I've been given, which is for me, you know, a, a working body that allows me to experience so much more in the world and playing with makeup and stuff like that is just an, an extension of, of that playtime. I love that approach really beautifully, a, a beautiful way of looking at it as well. And I think it's something, as you were saying, that that fun and freeing element can only be when you kind of don't get caught up in kind of the negative side of beauty which can be you know saying that you need this to feel this or you need this to look this way or whatever yeah totally totally and you know and that's you know that's understanding as well like you know that comes with time and 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 age like you know don't worry I've sat at a hairdresser's chair and been like here cut my hair like this and like I've been so disappointed when I didn't see like JLo staring back at me (laughs) you know like like you know we all have unrealistic expectations of beauty because of the way that society has conditioned us the way that we've literally been brainwashed and marketed to but like at the end of the day like we can still experience beauty in a really fun way. And it's up to brands now to make sure that they're not telling people you're worthless unless you have this. Um, It's really about embracing just whatever they, you know, if they stand by their products, it's about embracing what they can offer and not, not having to make you feel like, you know, like crap if you, if you can't get your hands on it or you can't afford it. The sixth product on your list is the, I think, almost collection of products that kind of gives you that confidence boost or a signature look. And for you, it is clear, glowy skin makes you feel good. So I think, why don't you tell me about some of the products that I think you mentioned before that are fun to play with that kind of help you get there? Well, I just love a serum. Like I just love a serum. I just think they're just like so fun. I saw a meme that said you don't sleep over anyone else's house like unexpectedly because you know <laughs> you bring serums with you, and that is so me. Like I get, I'm addicted. Um, so I, but it is because I do really nowadays really enjoy having much clearer skin, and you know I, and I think just something that comes with the nature of modeling is I have so many different makeup artists um, using all of their different you know, products on me because they swear by certain brands and or they're sponsored by certain brands. So there isn't always a lot of, uh, in terms that I can control, in terms of the consistency of what gets put on my face. Um, you know, I can't ever turn up to a, a shoot and just be like, um, I only wear this brand and if you don't have it, well, then too bad. Like, you know, it's just I, it's just the nature of my, of my job. And so, um, but that's when I sort of leave a set and I clean my and clear my face um, and try and rid it of, you know, my skin just eats makeup. It loves it. So I, um, 
it's just something I've finally gotten control of in the last couple of years, which is is having that that skin that's nice and clear and, you know, my pores are nice and, and clean and yeah, it's it's for me then really having a really nice clear base for makeup artists to work with. And something that I love using is I love using Drunk Elephant, um, the Virgin Morala Oil. It's something I've discovered in the last couple of years. Love Drunk Elephant. I think they're amazing, all their products. But, um, they're yeah, they're not cheap. So I think you have to pick your favorites. And that's certainly a favorite of mine. And then, of course, um, I just in the, you know, I've always known because if we live in Australia, the importance of like protecting your face from the sun, but like SPF is so important. My friends at um, call time on melanoma say like 50 plus or bust. And if you've ever heard Natalie at call time on melanoma, tell her story, you will run, you know, day or night and put sunscreen on. Yeah. And I love the Mecca face saver SPF. I got some of that um, last year. And oh, it was earlier this year. I don't know. I've lost track of time. But I, you know, it's something that I, I that I use all the time now. SPF fifty plus. It's just so important for a nice physical barrier. And as you mentioned, you obviously have spent a fair bit of time in the makeup artist chair for shoots and things like that. Is there a particular product or kind of trick that you you've seen used or been used on you that's kind of stuck with you? Well, actually, I would say really just personalizing whatever you use for your face, you know, really looking at your face and personalizing whatever you use um, on your face, Uh, like really looking at your features and seeing what will work. I can always tell if a makeup artist is really paying attention to what I look like if they curl my lashes or not. I know it's so silly, but I have really curly, like curly, curly lashes to the point where when I was little, I used to like cut them for, for swimming because I know how stupid what I can see the face go oh my god but I did because they used to touch my goggles and so it would drive me insane and um yeah I got really in trouble with my mom one day for doing that but um they're really curly and I can always tell if they've actually looked at my face because there's just no way that a curl a makeup eyelash curler will make my lashes any curlier than what they already are so I just think it's always about like having a look at your you know what kind of contouring works for you what kind of highlighting works for you and just knowing that like your face is different to everyone else's face and not just going through the motions um, of something that you've seen on like a tutorial or whatever and that comes down to you know having confidence to just play with different products use them differently can't always afford everything for your you know makeup bag but you, if you want good quality products buy something that's going to be a good lipstick but also great for your cheeks and you know that you can use as a um as a I, you know even like an eye eye makeup or whatever like it's just all about kind of customizing whatever you use to suit you as an individual so you recently have started uh, your latest project is a great podcast called the affirmation project Tell me a bit more about what that's all about. The Affirmation Project is a podcast about kind of encouraging a daily spirituality or care affirmation practice. Um, It's just personally like affirmations are something that have really worked for me. And I, you know, created it. It's what I'm calling a micro podcast. So it's sort of in five minutes or less encouraging you to kind of set your intentions for the day and recite a couple of mantras that hopefully get into your like subconscious and massage, you know, 
a way of decision making that or you know a way of you know taking in elements of your day that are about to happen around you and embracing a mentality that will serve you and you know for me it's just I've really enjoyed over the years making uh mantras up um you know I I I just sort of make affirmations that I kind of pick a topic and I recite the same ones weeks and weeks on end. And then they really do work for me personally. And so I just thought I'm going to create something. And if it speaks to other people, then it's great. It speaks to other people. But I just feel like, you know, being online, um, we are sort of, whether we like it or not, contributing to a kind of comparison culture where really posting the highlights and I wanted to make something that you know if people are going to stumble across my page this might be something that can help them kind of change their life offline and yeah basically you know it's even something that I recited to myself for years and years and years which is this mantra of the universe is on your side the universe is on your side the universe is on your side and so now when something goes really terribly wrong and I kind of do think like, you know, three things have gone wrong today. Like what the hell's going on? You know, thinking that I'm being like cosmically ganged up on. I'm like, no, the universe is on your side. Like you just don't know it yet. You know, wisdom takes time or, you know, the learnings will take time. And for me, that really helps. And so I'm getting a really great response with people sort of embracing it in their daily practice. But, you know, I've sort of said to people, you know, if it's just a weekly thing, if it's, you know, if you listen to, if you just come back to it when you need to, it's just, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a guru. I'm really not trying to be like, you know, it's hard to step into this kind of spiritual space without everyone thinking that you're trying to be like Tony Robbins or something, which I love Tony Robbins, like don't, no shade, but I just made it. I just felt like I, you know, I wanted to hear kind of, a a spiritual or an affirmations type practice without it being so wind chimey and, you know, just like a mate talking to you, kind of giving you a pep talk for the day. So that's sort of how it came about. And obviously there's so much more to come, but when you look back at your career so far and all all these incredible things that you are doing and have done, what stands out to you as kind of the proudest moment or the proudest thing? I mean, I have to say, like, I'm so excited about this podcast. (laughs) I just feel like we all have done it. Like, there's a lot of things that we do in our careers that we do because it's out of necessity or we we want certain conversations and directions to change, like I made with Project Womankind, like with the two web series that I made. I was really excited about them, but they were definitely a reaction to like a lot of negative feelings I had about like, you know, the fashion industry or just, you know, um, the perception of women in general. Whereas the podcast is really born out of something quite joyful, I think. And it's just, I've gotten to a place where I could make something exactly the way that I wanted to make it. And, you know, and I'm just moving in that direction and hopefully stepping more into that energy of, you know, it's not really it doesn't really matter if it's like the most successful thing straight away and it gets viral success straight away. It's like, I just intrinsically felt like this is something that I needed to make and wanted to make. And so I made it. And I love that. We're coming to the final two products on your list. So the seventh product is the one that you would trust with your life. For you, it is a hair product and you say it's a game changer. Tell me what it is and what it does. Well, I really, really, really love shea butter for my hair 
and there's a brand called Shea Butter and the Jamaican Castor Oil Mask, and I love it. I love, 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 love it. It's something that, like I said, I got um, introduced to in England when I first moved there in, in the UK, and someone sort of handed it to me and was like, this is what you need for your hair, and it's, yeah, if I go into a store and it's there, because it's not always everywhere. It's one of those brands. I mean, I can order it online, but I'm not that organized. Um, but I will walk in and I just buy it like it's, you know, like I'm low-key, like doomsday pre- prepping. Like I buy so much of it and I will be so devastated if I can't find it. So, yeah, and it's, it's you know, it's not the cheapest thing um, to buy. It certainly uh, something that, you know, this is the thing is I didn't have a lot of great hair stuff growing up because A, it wasn't available and B, like my mum was just not going to spend more than like needed to be spent on like your hair. Whatever was everyone was using is what you used. So um, it's just such a treat to me to still to always have a hair mask and something that just gives my hair so much. Um, it just gives a lift to my curls and just I love it. It's so natural. It's amazing. And it's, I'm not I'm not sponsored by them at all. I've been saying, I've been talking about them for years and I've been waiting for someone there to call me. <laughs> so now, yeah, now's the time. Get in. You've got an advocate here. <laughs> who is someone or perhaps a few people who you feel has really shaped you or influenced you? Uh, and that can be either on a personal level or kind of more professionally. You know, I really try and allow myself to be all facets of my personality whenever I'm feeling them. I think that's like really important to just, you know, it's just like I I try not to get stuck in the same, um, worshipping the same things and watching the same things, enjoying the same things. I try and like switch it up and, and feel what I'm feeling. Um, and that just brings out, you know, whoever is inspiring me at the time. But I would have to say like I, I, you know, I could say so many people that I love day in and day out, but I, I really love Oprah. <laughs> I love her. How many times have you heard this on your podcast where everyone said Oprah? I feel like everyone. I think only a handful. So oh, really? original answer. Yeah. <laughs> I love her. I just love her. I grew up on her. She's like, you know, she's a, she's someone who's a storyteller to me and she really inspired me, inspires me to not just stay in your lane, like, you know, just to really, um, step out and walk in all different kinds of lanes in life and just, you know, try and pay attention to what the wisdom of the, that you're getting from the universe or whatever that you think is happening in the world. It's just coming at you. And I think we all have this kind of like internal guidance and there's certain things that we want to do or certain places we want to go to, or, you know, certain jobs we want to take or little projects we want to take on. And I feel like she's just someone who is a true kind of icon of just stepping into all different kinds of spaces and doing it with such passion and and such I think she's a humble person I you know I think I love Oprah so if I'm gonna say one person I'll say her but it changes all the time like you said there are so many different inspiring people for different facets of what you're doing and we're all changing so surely the people we look up to will change as well Totally. And I think, you know, it's, it's an, again, just a testament to that kind of energy of like, you don't have to stay in the same lane. The whole point is to, at the end of the day, like we're all so connected and we can learn so much from each other. We will allow ourselves to. We come to the final product on your list, which is kind of your holy grail or greatest discovery. 
And for you at the moment, it is the Swiss Beauty Restore range. So tell me about why you like the range and and how you come to it as well. Because I think there's a bit of a skin resolution that you're attempting this year. I've been trying to be really much less invasive on my skin. And like I said, you know, I love having clear skin, but, you know, I um, have learned in in years gone by about overwashing my skin and using too many like active ingredients that are really aggressive. And I just don't need, you know, it's it's about also, I think, paying attention to what your skin needs at the time. And at the moment, like it being wintertime, um, I've been using, you know, I've, I've sort of been using the Restore range to be a little bit more gentle and I would never have in the past really used like a gentle creamy cleanser because I was came from the school of thought of like aggressive like you know really get in there and just like if it doesn't burn it's not working like you know kind of thing and I really just wouldn't have come around to a gentle cleanser had I not been introduced to it and like kind of you know shown that it, it does, they do work and I don't need that kind of aggressiveness on my skin anymore. Like my um, skin has chilled out a lot in recent years. And so it's nice to give it a break um, cleansing wise and then really um, step it up when it comes to like the steps after that. So getting into the oils, they've got an amazing face oil in that restore range. And it's all, it's all about kind of embracing the power of hemp, hemp seed. And yeah, once again, it's just really educated me on, um, not being so aggressive and not, and learning that like, yeah, once upon a time, my skin probably did need that kind of aggressive stingy to know it was working and like rub 10 layers of my face off but now it just needs a little bit more gentle kind of care and I think that's what I've learned with like being a bit more organic or a bit more natural embracing something like hemp is 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 great um but again you know it's all about paying attention to your own skin and that's just been a part of my journey recently which is just like limiting the invasiveness and you know using the stingy serums on occasion not every single day (laughs) You have talked us through the eight and a few beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for you or have earned a coveted place in kind of your routine. And now for the final question, which is which is if you could take just one of those with you to Beauty Island, which one would you take with you? And, and a caveat that you have your chosen SPF yes. and that doesn't you don't have to use it up on that. And it doesn't have to be a practical choice. It could just be for what that product represents or how it makes you feel. So given all that, which one will you take with you to Beauty Island? Well, I guess, you know what, like if I'm going to be alone, am I am I abandoned on this island? I feel like if I'm abandoned, I would take the Lulu. I would take my mum, the smell of my mum. Yeah. Because, you know, even just like that would just give me so much comfort. And I know it's not like super practical. I should probably take the hair mask because I'll look like a like like a bush pig, like, you know, whenever anyone finds me. But I think if I'm going to take something, that's what I do think about beauty at the end of the day. It's it's about comfort and it's about play and it's about like bringing you a little bit of joy. And I think if I'm going to take anything, yeah, it would be that would give me comfort. The perfect note to end on. Excellent choice. It has been so lovely to go on this beauty journey with you, Jess, and hear about all the amazing things that you've done too. So thank you so much for chatting with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the fantastic Jessica Vanderlei. 
You can find where to follow her and of course a full list of all the products that she spoke about in today's episode in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, you might recall Jess mentioning a magazine that she used to work at called Madison. So I recommend scrolling back to the previous season and listening to my interview with Madison founding editor, Paula Joy. It is a brilliant insight into the magazine industry and beauty and music and so much more. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture. Or as I said, sign up to my regular fortnightly beauty newsletter called It's a Beauty for my beauty column reviews and recommendations straight to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, bye bye. <laughs>